Well, Harvest, we are now uh, entering our third month in a three-month series, so I thought it would just be uh, appropriate for us to kind of ask the question, as we're in the last month of this, why this particular sermon series, why this series, when he is bigger than. And uh, to remind you, we came out of uh, the end of last year, and in January we finished our sermon series uh, through the book of Revelation, and we left that asking the question of, so how should God's people be living during this time of redemptive history, during this war zone of redemptive history? And uh, we we ended up uh, jumping into the book of Judges uh, shortly thereafter, and really taking a look at the book of Judges and kind of asking the question, okay, so if we're asking the question, how should we live, let's take a look at how we should not be living during this time of redemptive history. And so we were in the book of Judges for that series, and now we are following that up with, okay... If we're to live like something during this time of redemptive history, and it's not to be like what we saw in the book of Judges, it's to be something different. What is it supposed to look like? And it's supposed to look like this. That's what we've been trying to do is kind of set some stakes in the ground on that. And and saying, I, I could sum it all up like this. We should be living like the Lord is bigger than anything else. We should be living like the Lord is bigger than anything else. And uh, so we've talked about how the Lord is bigger than our daily grind, how he's bigger than our expectations, our death, our fears, our hopelessness, our suffering. Last Sunday, when he's bigger than our confusion. The next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about when he's bigger than our past, when he's bigger than our pursuits, when he's bigger than our failures. Uh, one of the things, though, I want to be careful in this is uh, there's the potential that all of this could be building a very myopic view of the Christian life. In other words, the Christian life just becomes about me, becomes just about you, and it come, becomes about maturing in Christ, growing in Christ, and no question about it. We have been given a commission call to be growing in Christ. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 uh, talks about that. We're to be maturing, grounded, rooted, strengthening in the Lord. That is to be a something that we are doing and being as a commission call. But I also want to remind us in this that not only is growing in our maturity something that we're called to do, but also we are to be in the reality of growing in our ministry for Christ. Not only our maturity in Christ, but our ministering for Christ. We are to be engaged as disciples that make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said before the ascension, therefore go and make disciples. Go, go and make disciples. And I want for us to to remember and realize that that wasn't just for them. That was for every redeemed person in Christ. We are to be disciple makers. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our stage. We're to be disciple makers in Christ. And that is commonly called the Great Commission. Commission. A commission is something that a people is charged with. Something that a people are charged with doing. There's a great commission. There's a call in our life to mature. There's a call in our life to minister. We could say that. There's a call in our life to grow. And there's a call in our life to go. And both are a part of the Christian life. Now, honest observation about that. 
I honestly think that as believers, we tend to want to be more about the maturing part, the growing part, than the ministry or the going part. Why is that? Well, I have a couple thoughts on that, and a couple I actually want to share with you because it kind of, I think, hopefully leads into what we're talking about today. I think one of the reasons for that is the, the going for Christ commission has been a bit hoarded by ministry leaders. It has actually been a bit taken over by ministry leaders, especially in the last hundred years if you look at how church is being done. Um, ministry leaders have kind of structured local church ministry and preaching such that they become the central place, the central thing, the central one in which people are to bring people to in order to be saved, in order to be discipled. And that's not just me, but as pastors and pastoral staff. Oftentimes, they are the ones. They're the professional ministry people. They're the ones that are supposed to altar call the people. They're the ones that are supposed to disciple the people because that's what they've been trained to do. And as you consider that, part of what's gone on with that mindset is I think much of that has actually taken ministry away from you. It's taken ministry away from you. And so what ends up happening is God's people view themselves more as their responsibility is to bring people, not so much go to people. There is a difference. There is a difference. And the Great Commission is, is, not, is bringing to part of it. I, have, I actually think, yeah, part of that is. But the thrust, the central thrust of the Great Commission is that everyone in Christ feels a weight, a responsibility, an understanding that they, that you have a commission call on your life to go. And make disciples. But what keeps that from happening? Well, one, I think some of the way we structure ministry has built that. But I'm also going to add into this, I think a big part of this for all of us is insecurity. And I'm talking about ministry insecurity because I'm just guessing when I just did what I just did and said, listen, the Great Commission is really on your shoulders. In Ephesians 4, it talks about our job as pastors is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We're to be equipping you to be going. We're to be going as well, but we're to be equipping you to be going in that. And when you feel that weight, when you feel the burden, when it comes upon you, don't inside of you, you kind of go... Me? Seriously, me? I mean, I'm just Joe Blow. I'm just Jane Blow. I, me? Don't you feel that way? Like, what can I do? Like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what it's supposed to be about. What is that supposed to look like? Doug, don't push it off your shoulders onto me. <laughs> well, friends, in our insecurities, of I don't have the chops to do that, there's great hope from the scripture. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. When he is bigger than my insecurities. And I want for you to know today clearly that what we're talking about has to do with this idea of ministry insecurities. 
Because that's the context of Exodus 3 and 4 with what's going on. Be encouraged. If you think you can't do it, there's another guy you know quite well. He didn't think he could either. And we're going to take a look at him in Exodus 3 and 4. Now, as I've said what I've said, I realize there's the possibility in this that you could be thinking that it's like, dude, it's easy for you to talk about this because you probably don't have ministry insecurities. After all, you're a pastor, and especially you're a senior pastor, and you probably don't have those kinds of things going on with you, that. Um, not true. Not true in my past. Not true in my present It actually took me, in my business days, about five years before I was willing to say vocational ministry for me. Um, I'm going to kind of say it this way. Half of those years were, I think, confirming whether that's really what the Lord wanted for me to do. I mean, I loved doing what I was doing. I loved doing what I was doing. I wasn't looking for something else. And so there take time to figure that out. And Karen and I, we talk about how a passion for ministry does not equate to a call to full-time ministry. Okay, we need lay people sold out for Christ, right? We need that. So half of that time, I would say, is me kind of working through this whole thing and getting counsel and kind of working with some individuals along with me. And the other half of that, to be frank with you, was probably the boatload of insecurities that I had about the thought of stepping into increased ministry for Christ. And uh, I'll just tell you a couple. Both then and now, I am this odd mix of leader and very timid. And you may not know that. You may know that. Um, I am actually more comfortable in the shadows than I am in the limelight. And that never fit the typical mold of any pastor I ever saw. I mean, the pastors that I saw, they were kind of the ones that were really bold, and they were very hard-driving. They were type A types, and they loved the limelight. You may not know this. I'm not so much those by nature. I'm not. Plus, I loved doing what I was doing. Also... I didn't know if I could handle the weights of vocational ministry. Um, I'm a pretty thin-skinned guy. I tear up a lot, and I hate that. I'm telling you, I hate that. But I'm the guy who even back then would watch a movie and tear up. I am very passionate, and it just comes out. And it's embarrassing. And I will tell you, and the only reason I'm saying that, is that item alone caused me to wonder whether I should be in vocational ministry. Plus just the weight of ministry. And I've heard about this ministry loneliness thing. And I want for you to know, uh, being very transparent with you today, trust me, I get it. And I am continuing to get it. I had a meal, I won't tell you who, someone you would probably know here a couple weeks ago, a pastor in Indianapolis who came out this way. We had breakfast together, and I said, how you doing? And he said, I could just keep driving west. And I said, 
I could think about joining you right now. Because ministry's hard. Ministry's hard. And I don't mean what I do. I mean what we're called to do. It's hard. And I want that on the table. Because we're going to see a guy who talks to a flaming bush about his ministry insecurities. And it is so encouraging. So let's go. So here we are in Exodus. Exodus chapter 1. Joseph... Uh, Joseph finishes his life prime minister of Egypt. If you know that story, he dies there. Uh, We had actually talked about Joseph earlier in this series. Uh, God's people are slaves in Egypt for generations. They begin to increase in number greatly. God blesses them with that. And, And so all of a sudden, the king of Egypt begins getting harder and harder on them to control them in slavery with what's going on. They're suffering. They long for deliverance. Chapter 2 All of a sudden, this Hebrew boy, uh, literally, after being born, floats into Pharaoh's house. Um, He is raised as a son of Pharaoh's daughter with all the privileges of that. Uh, This Hebrew boy, at 40 years old, fast forward, at 40 years old, has to hightail it out of Egypt. He has to flee into exile because of a situation that happened there. He's in the desert. He goes in from the uh, Pharaoh's house to into the shadows of the desert until some 40 years later. That means how old is he? 80. At the age of 80, and you might say, that's looking pretty good for 80, but yeah. But at the age of 80... God shows up. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There's a number of things we could talk about, but I'm just going to cut at it. So he was 40 years a prince. He was 40 years a nomad shepherd. 40 years in the limelight. 40 years not. Okay? No sign in here anywhere that Moses at the age of 80 is looking for a new career. No sign of that. No sign of Moses at this point in time that he's looking to want to jump into some leadership role. No sign here that, that, that Moses is, is desiring to, to show himself big. None of that is happening here in all of this. This guy, at this point in time, is just an exiled shepherd. 40 years. I've now been out of business life for, let's say, 25 years now. Is that right? I'm 55, so... uh, 15 years. I can't add anymore. Okay, so for about 15 years, and, and I'm like, man, there's so many things I've lost about some, so much of that now. The business is so changed and all those kinds of things, and so much is, is transpired on. It's a whole different world there and all of that, and it's like me going back is like, hey, I'm just someone in the past that's irrelevant today. 40 years later. I can't even imagine that. He's been 40 years a shepherd. He's just a normal guy. By the way, I'll note Psalm 78 says, The Lord chose David, took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd his people. Friends, I'm going to tell you here, there's something that's so interesting in the scripture, not with everyone, but more than we might think with Noah, with Abraham, with Joseph, with Moses, with David, with the disciples, with Paul. 
all were brought into increasing spiritual leadership, not out of their looking for it, but out of the Lord commissioning them to it. And they took it and they went after it. Not because of who they are, but because of the God of theirs. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So he's just a shepherd taking his sheep. He's up in these mountains. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not, so con- yet it was not consumed. The R&D past guy in me so wants to just, how did that happen? And I love this because Moses was that. Verse 3, and Moses said, I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. I'm sorry, that's business pass for me. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had turned to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Okay, and you've all seen like the old movie, Moses, Moses. Okay, it wasn't like that. Okay, it wasn't like Pharaoh's mom uh, or uh, 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 his, his, his mom kind of thing. It's like God saying this. What did that sound like? I don't think it was some like wimpy voice like Moses, Moses. I think God is speaking out of this bush that is not burning up, and it's Moses, Moses, man, talking about freaking you out. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Friends, I just want to kind of note this right at this moment, if we could, in our own hearts, if you will. Let's kind of consider ourselves right now at a holy ground moment. We are in a holy ground place in Exodus 3 and 4 for a holy ground moment. Let's be there right now. Verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Forty years Moses has been away out of this limelight of the world leadership headquarters in Egypt there, and it's like, bam, I send you. <laughs> Note in the text, it's not, hey Moses, um, I've got a thought. None of that. It's also not, would you be interested in? It's not a, hey, uh, your mission, Moses, should you choose to accept it? And then it burned up. <laughs> get it? <laughs> How long did that take me to come up with that? <laughs> uh, Moses, I'm picking you. You. You go bring two million people out. At 80 years old. I mean, seriously. At 80 years old, this is supposed to be the time where there's some, him and Zipporah are supposed to like pack up and go to Florida or something, right? At 80 years old. No, I pick you. 
There's a part of this that for you and I, if you will, knowing some of the story, if you know the story, makes so much sense why this guy. I mean, he had 40 years of time living in Egypt. He was in Pharaoh's household. He knows peeps. I mean, he knows the way how things work, how things move, who's really in charge. How, but, but, but then he has 40 years of experience in the desert, in the wilderness. Fast forward with what's going to happen. A guy is going to be going into Egypt, into Pharaoh's house, and a guy is going to be leading them in the desert. This dude is perfectly, got the perfect resume for this job. But he hasn't been putting his resume out. God just said, you... I want you. I'm curious. How is this 80-year-old mature man going to respond? Friends, watch the ministry insecurities fly. Here we go. Verse 11. Insecurity number one. Who am I? Who am I? But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, who am I? Consider the task. He is to go to Egypt, bring two million people out that have been there for some, say, 400 years. He's just to like to walk in there and say, I want them out. Um... Moses has no more connections. I mean, he has some remembrances, but it's been 40 years. He's been out of the job industry, and he doesn't have the connections. And so his response is, me? Why me? I'm a nobody. I mean, who am I, Lord? Have you ever felt that? Oh, totally do. By the way, I think it's really important to note with this that this is not a question of defiance. This is not a question of defiance. Instead, this is one of, I lack the fit. I lack the fit. Uh, Who am I? No, I, I do not see a fit here. I hear what you're saying, but I do not see a fit with that. Hey. Prior to the ascension, the Lord says, go and make disciples. And far too often, we sit back and we go, me? I mean, seriously, me? Don't you? Like, who am I? Hey, Moses gets what we go through. Verse 12, I wonder how the Lord's going to respond. The Lord says, But I will be with you. How awesome is that? No, 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 Moses. No, 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 Moses. I I, I will be with you. Moses, seriously, look at my eyes. Look at my burning bush eyes. I will be with you. Hey, Harvest. The Lord says, I will will be with you. In fact, it's really interesting in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. 
The Lord, after he says, therefore, go and make disciples, he says, and I am with you always. Friends, I am telling you, the commission is so not changed. And the commission is, is, is associated with the fact that the Lord is with. This is not about my skill set. This is not about your skill set. This is not about who you are, who I am, who, any of that. This is all about who the Lord is. And if it ever gets to the point to where we're like, oh yeah, Lord, of course, absolutely, I get why you would pick me. I get why you would pick us. We're in trouble at that point. No, this has always been about, always must be about. This is about who the Lord is, not who we are. You hear me? This is who the Lord is, not who we are. Insecurity number one gets shot down by the Lord. So in ministry insecurity number two, what do I say? Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the, the God of your fathers has sent me, and, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Isn't it true this morning, probably, when I said, hey, you know, you, you are to be involved in going and making disciples. You are to be involved in the reality of evangelizing people and discipling them along. And one of the first things that comes up is me. And then one of the next things that comes up is, but, 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 but what do I say? Right? This is so real. I, I literally remember in the car when we were driving down right before... We started uh, with the church up and going, telling Karen at that time, I was like, Karen, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the Lord's prepared me for the leadership part of this, but honestly, Karen, I'm really, really scared about this whole preaching thing, because I've taught Sunday, adult Sunday schools all my life, and I haven't done this preaching gig on a weekly in-out, in-out basis. I am scared to death about this right now, and uh, I still do. I still do. And the fact of the matter is, I think part of what I'm coming to learn is that's good. Because the point in time when it comes to where it's like, we think we have the, 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 the chops to be able to be the dude or dudette, to be able to have all the speech together, to be able to make it happen, it's coming out of our power. And we don't want that. We don't want that. We want weak people serving a big God. Because that's the reality of it. Again, it's not a question of defiance. It's one of, I lack the knowledge. I lack the knowledge. I mean, what am I supposed to say? The great burning bush sent me? Verse 14, so the Lord speaks. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And the Lord said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. Now here's one of the coolest things that really struck me this week, you guys, in preparing for this, is the Lord didn't stop there. Because Moses is basically saying, who me? I mean, like, I'm so not the guy, I'm not the fit, and I don't have the knowledge for the task. And then what the Lord does, he says, okay, I'll answer your question. You want to, you want to know who to say? Say, say, I am sent me. Say, I am sent me, and the Lord doesn't stop there. Watch this. The Lord tells him exactly what to do. This is so cool. I am who I am, and he said, say this to the people, uh, the I am sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, that he has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go, go, 
And gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Otherites. Hey, listen, what the Lord is doing here is he's telling him exactly. Okay, Moses, look at my burning bush eyes, and here's what you're to say. You're to say, I, the, I am one. Okay, so the, I answered that question. Now, okay, obviously you're pretty insecure in this whole thing. So here's the deal. You go to the elders there in Egypt, the Israelite elders, and you get with them and you tell them this. Isn't this cool? God's telling them exactly what to do and what to say. And he's not done. Verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, again, he's telling him what to say. Say to the king of Egypt, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters and you shall plunder the Egyptians. You shall plunder the New England Patriots. Okay, <laughs> and, <laughs> dreaming, just dreaming. Okay, and, uh, and in all this whole thing, it's like, that's the point where you're like, you've answered all my questions. Like, God came in and said, I want you. Me? No, no, no. I am so not the fit for this, man. And then he's like, what do I say? God's like, okay, here's what you say. In fact, not only is this what you're to say, this is what you're to do. Would you not think this would be, at the end of chapter 3, this would be the point where Moe's like, awesome, let's roll. Nope, insecurities continue. Insecurity 1, insecurity 2, now here we go. Insecurity number 3, they won't believe me. Here's what's ironic about that, because God already told them who would and who wouldn't. But he's not catching it all, that gives me hope. Chapter 4, verse 1, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. In other words, uh, I'm going to get pushback. Again, not defiance. It's I lack the credentials. I lack the credentials. Even though you say, told me what I am supposed to say, I lack the credentials before them that they will hear me. They're not going to hear me, God, because I lack the credentials. I don't have the MBA. I don't have the Masters of Divinity. I don't have the Doctorate of Divinity. No one's going to listen to me, Lord. If you feel like a poor representative of the Lord, welcome. Welcome to the team. I really mean that. I really mean that. If you're like, what can the Lord do with me? Hear me. You are in the right spot to be used by the Lord. If you are in the place where I'm telling you I am too hot for my shirt and the Lord can really use me, you're in a bad place. You are in a bad place. Not that. 
Instead, Lord, I lack the credentials. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the fit. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. By the way, what's going on here? Let me remind us. Lord, they won't believe me. The Lord doesn't even answer it. He just gets at it. He knows what to do. Okay, got a staff, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. Is that not the coolest thing ever? Don't you want to do that? So want to do that. I looked on Amazon to see if they had a little kit to do that. I couldn't find it. So they threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And, and Moses ran from it. So obviously this was not like some little wimpy snake. This was something that was a bit fearful, verse 4. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, uh, put, put your hand inside your cloak. And, and he put it inside his cloak. And, and then he took it out and behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like you know, the rest of his flesh. That's cool. Like you're... Oh, <laughs> that's really cool. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground in the water, and you shall take it from the Nile. From the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. How cool. Do you see what the Lord's doing here? He isn't chastising him. He isn't crushing him. He's continuing to help him. Okay, let me give you some tools. Let me put some cards in your deck. All right, let me put some cards in your deck. First card in your deck is your staff. Second card in your deck is the whole hand gig thing. Third card in the deck is take some water out of the Nile. Okay, you equipped enough now? I think after they see those, I think they'll believe you. I really think they'll believe you. Ministry insecurity, one resolved. Insecurity, two resolved. Ministry insecurity, four. I'm not eloquent. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past. By the way, that meant when he was in Egypt. I wasn't eloquent in the past, and I'm not eloquent now. I'm slow to speech and of tongue. There's debates on what all that means. Some think that he may have had a speech. I have no idea. I don't know how we can really go there. I don't know if this was kind of a mental thing. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, I mean, there are some people that just have the ability to handle questions quickly. I will tell you, I am so not that. I am far wiser about two hours later. You notice that as well? I'm just not good with words like that. I'm slow with that. It takes me so much time. I've been around other uh, teaching pastors where their ability to be able to bring clarity to things in speaking at times is just so not fair. I am so telling you, you have no idea how I have to work so hard at pulling things together and all my life it's been like that. 
It just takes so much work in it. You see others who are quick at it, who God is blessed to be able to do that. And I'm supposed to be happy for them that God has equipped them to do that, but I'm not. <laughs> you know, true? If I was just like them, I'm just not that eloquent. Verse 11, or, or before that, again, not a response of defiance, but one of, I lack the skill set. I lack the skill set. I've never been and am not now good at it. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I can't talk like others or speak as eloquently as others can. I don't know, maybe it's, I'm not as smart as, I'm not as good looking as, I'm not as capable as, I'm not as fill in the blank. I just don't have quite the skill set. Verse 11. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Moses, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Ooh, there's a whole lot of theology we could talk about there. Verse 12. Now therefore go. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth (laughs) and teach you what you shall speak. Isn't that awesome? But I will tell you, it still doesn't make us feel fully secure in ourself. And that's right where the Lord wants us. Not secure in ourself. Having to trust in Him. Oh God, help me speak it right now. Oh Lord, give me wisdom what to say right now. Oh Lord, I can't do this. Oh Lord, I am not eloquent. Lord, I don't have the skill set. Oh Lord, you got to be in this. If there's going to be anything that comes out of this that's for your glory, Lord, you've got to be in this. That's the place to be. That's where we want things to be at. Moses, you can't speak? Fine. I'll be in your mouth. You can't, uh, you don't think that you have the fit? Fine. I'm your fit. You think you lack the knowledge? Perfect. You do. I have it. You don't think that you have the credential chops? You're correct, but I will be there. You don't think you have the skill set? Fantastic. I'm there. Are we getting the picture? By the way, I am absolutely convinced these truths are not only for Moses, but they are for you and for me. And the question is, are we going to take him at his word? I will be with your mouth. Straight up question. As you consider being used of the Lord, and maybe that means even being increasingly used of the Lord, what's your excuse? What are your excuses? Who am I? What do I say? They won't believe me. I'm not eloquent. I lack the fit. I lack the knowledge. I lack the credentials. I lack the skill set. Seriously, friends. Seriously, loved ones, for you. 
What is it for you right now that when we say, that when God's word says that he has commissioned, called you to be a disciple maker for him, to be evangelizing and to be reproducing, multiplying disciples and other people, when that truth is put out on the table, what is the thing that is holding you back? It's not if you have insecurities, it's you do. And the question is, is are we going to allow those insecurities to be the things that hold us back? Or are we going to do what Jesus said and go in our insecurities? Second Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, We were burdened beyond our strength so that we despaired even of living, so that we would not trust in ourselves but in the Lord, so we have set our hope on Him. Second Corinthians 12 Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can that be? That can be because when I am weak, when you are weak, then the Lord is needed. Then at that point we are totally dependent. We know we don't have it. We don't know we can't put it together. We can't make it all work out. But we have to put ourselves laid before the Lord at his feet. Lord, you have to show up. I'll be a tool. But I'm going to step out of the toolbox. And I'm going to place myself at your feet to be used by you. What is your excuse? And I say it that way, and I say that a bit, I realize that may be a bit hard, but insecurity number five, Moses said, please send someone else. Verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Friends, that's at the core of who we are. That's at the core of how we respond to the Great Commission. Oh Lord, now, now is not the best time. Hey, listen, I completely am totally good with times of rest and times of stepping out. We're even going to looking at, at, at putting into with our pastoral staff just some times of seasons on the fives, on the tens, uh, length of time being here of having some time of sabbatical, some rest. I'm great with people having a time to step out of leading a small group for a while to get a rest. I'm great with people having a time to step out of children's ministry to get a rest for a while because it's all heavy, it's all hard, it's all weighty. But it, listen, we do not step out to stay out. Because we are called to go. We are called to step in. And now it turns from a place to where it's been questions of not defiance. Now it is an issue of obedience. Basically, Moses is saying, I lack the obedience. Please send someone else. I've heard you, I've heard you, I've heard you. You've even given me explanations beyond even what I asked for. But I'm just not willing to go there. I like my sheep. I like my job. I like living in the shadows. It's more comfortable. It makes a lot more money. It's less weighty, even though it's not easy. But go. Friends, imagine if Moses had not entered this journey. 
all of the experiences with the Lord he lost. Imagine. The whole thing that's coming up through the book of Exodus and everything that takes place. Had Moses not stepped in, he would have lost the experience of all of that. Was it easy? No. No. And he didn't drive west. And he didn't bag it off. And he didn't leave it to someone else more skilled. Then the anger, verse 14, of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I.e., God had been long-suffering and patient. We sang about that. Now, he's not happy. Because apparently, I'm not big enough for you. That's what's really going on here. So Moses, apparently, this isn't worth it enough. I'm not trustworthy enough. I'm not big enough for you to be able to enter into this expedition with you. I've heard everything you've said. I've been patient and gracious and kind. But now you're being defiant. Now I'm not happy. But I have to say, even in his anger, look at his long suffering. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words of his mouth, uh, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and I will be with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. I am with you. That's the bigger thing. That's the greater thing. Verse 16, he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Verse 17, and take your staff in this hand and take in your staff and take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. In other words, I've given you this stuff. Moses, I've had enough. It's time to go like I originally said. And by the way, look at verse 18. Moses went. Bam. In other words, wrapped up in all of that was Moses went in all of his insecurities. He didn't have to go through a class to get over them. He went, went in them. And he took all of those insecurities and he did what God called him to do knowing that it's not him. It's the Lord. And by the way, Moses didn't respond with, I have an occasional moment to give. He didn't respond with, okay, Lord, I'll serve where I most prefer. He didn't respond, well, I'll serve where I'm best at. He didn't respond, where I'll serve where I'm most comfortable. He didn't respond with, I'll serve where my schedule best fits my schedule. And he also did not respond with, where it best fits my spiritual gifting. The Lord said, go. And in his insecurities, he went. Moses went where he was needed. 
Friends, something has been building up in me through this series. And I don't yet know what it is. Um, But I see what the Lord is doing here. And I come to passages like this last Sunday. And I just go, friends, more. Not more for me. Not more for you. More for the Lord. It's time. It's just time to admit that we are no longer an infant as a church. I am convinced, by the way, a church pretty much follows along the time of a child's growing up. Five-year-old church is a five-year-old likeness. We're nine, almost nine. Eight and a half to three quarters, as a kid might say. (laughs) And you can take more on as a nine-year-old. And I'm just seeing some things coming together, and I see this. This is pivotal. This is pivotal in God's redemptive work with his people in Egypt. This was a pivotal moment with this person and what comes after. This is pivotal, that he responds in such a way that it's like, no, not me, not me, not me. I can't, I can't. And then he just goes. And the fear... In the insecurities, he goes. Because the Lord is bigger. And it's all about the Lord. And not his thing, not her thing, not their thing. And I'm just going to put on the table. I, I don't quite know where it is, so I'm not putting anything on the table today. No new plan. But I'm just saying something's stirring. As I see what's going on structurally, our pastoral staff is being positioned like we've never been positioned before. Our, just our facility infrastructure, we are in new territories. By the spring of next year, we're going to be able to house up to 1,200 people on weekend services. We're going to be having new kids modulars out there. We're going to have that really rocking, cool playground. And yes, I am playing on it. <laughs> when you are gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, our staff has been working so hard to get a new database in place this morning with children's check-in. It was the first time getting into this thing. New website is in process. Just so many things. We, have, we are looking to have increasing the size of our elder team by early, mid-next year. Next year, we are going to officially be a Harvest Regional Training Center. That means here that Harvest Indy West will essentially, uh, most of the Harvest churches in Indiana and Ohio will be under, uh, under our opportunity to lead and support and encourage them. That has a lot to do with me, but that has a lot to do with us as far as what's to be done, not why we are, but what's to be done. Next year, we're planting a church on St. Vincent Island. And we are lead on that. I don't know if you understand that. We are lead on that. We're just not an encourager on that. We are lead on that. There's a possibility that we could be involved with Harvest North and Harvest South and planting a Harvest church in the inner city of Indianapolis this year. 
Pastor Nate is investigating and strategizing on more local and international ministry opportunities. And I'll just say, we've been through something crazy in the last nine years. And it has been a journey. And I am so glad to have joined this journey with you. And there's more to come. Not to kick back, but more to go. I'm even asking and praying that this coming year that the Lord would instill us an increasing fervor to see more and more people come to Christ. It's time. It's time. I don't know if you need Christ as your Savior, but it's time. And I don't know if you haven't been producing fruit for the Lord, but it's time. And redeemed in Christ, if you haven't baptized, it's time. If you aren't in a small group, it's time. If you aren't serving on Sundays, it's time. If this is your home church and you're not a member, it's time. In a day and age where people don't want to give a commitment, it's time. And if ministry insecurities are preventing you from going and making disciples in your home, outside of your home, here and beyond, friends, it's time. And I don't know what all that looks like, but I'm just being totally transparent with you. Something is stirring in me. It's time. More for the Lord. Go. In the Lord. And let's be that. Oh, I pray we get hungrier and hungrier. Those of you serving in children's ministry, thank you. It's hard. Thank you. Those of you who are serving in student ministries, thank you. Small group leaders, thank you. And I could go on. Thank you. But more is ahead. Because the Lord is bigger than now. Lord, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to ask that you would take and you would show up and you would stir and you would revive and you would empower and you would go before. God, first of all, I'm asking that we as a church that we would hear the commission call. Just like Moses was kind of hearing it for the first time. Maybe for some it's the first time they've heard that this whole thing of going and making disciples is something as a Christ follower that's to be on their agenda. That's not for someone else. That's for them as well. We all are to be in on this. Maybe it's the first time. God, I pray that they would be hearing that today. God, I would be praying as a church family, we would just be transparent enough to know that, to say that we are a bunch of broken people. We are people who want to do things for your glory and for your grandness. But Lord, you know, we are just like Moses. We struggle with this and our insecurities and what could be going. And I can't, how could you use me but this, but that? Oh, but Lord, you just want us to be a tool in your hand. Maybe for some it's, Realizing that it's time for that tool to get out of the toolbox. Not only here and not only to acknowledge, but to lay ourselves down before you. 
sacrifice, God. Take our lives. Take our lives. Lord, your will, not ours. Your way, not ours. God, I'm just grateful that you allowed me to get on this journey. I'm so grateful for these people. God, I pray, stir a revival in our souls that rises up, not in self-confidence, but in total insecurity placed before you, laying ourselves down, Lord, that you are the God of the universe. You are above all things. You want to do big things. And you want us to be tools in your hand. So Lord, I pray that. More tools in your hand. More ready to be used by you. Trusting in you. Scared to death in it. Looking into your burning bush eyes. Knowing that you are with. So God, lay us down. Help us along. And take us.